Hey, good morning, everyone. As you, uh, if you've been here any, any amount of time or at Living Word any amount of time, as you know, we do series. We, we take a topic and then we talk about it till we're sick of it. And uh, we're in the middle of a series called Tough Questions. And as you can see from the video, we're going to dive into a question I think everyone has battled with, either, either daily or you, you battle with within your life. And that's how do we overcome the guilt and the regret and the remorse and maybe, maybe even shame of our past. And it, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing how you could just be doing something and having a good day. And then all of a sudden, something will trigger something in your mind, some event, some person, something you watch on TV. Something will trigger something from your past and begin to bring guilt and remorse back in your life when you are having a good day. Am I the only one that that happens to, or are you with me this morning, 30 crowd? Amen? And so how many know that, that, that those times can come and, and, and that reminder comes back into our life? And if we're not careful on how to battle those, those things can become chains to our hearts and our minds to stop us living the life that Christ desires us to live, And I know what can happen in my life if it's like your life. Those past regrets and those past guilt can come into our life and just hold us captive, hold us prisoners. And sometimes we can break through those and sometimes they can attach themselves to our life where it becomes a day, then it becomes two days, it becomes weeks, and maybe even sometimes months if we're not careful. Let me tell you this. I think one of the most important things you will ever do in your week is come to church. I just believe it's not, it's not, I don't want to lay any guilt on you because next week you're like, pastor, I'm not going to make it to church next week. So I don't want to, I don't want to put any more guilt anyway. But here's the thing. For some reason, when we come together, I think it's so important. We come together as the family of God and we worship together and we, we realize who Christ is and we sit under the teaching of God's word. It helps us and reminds us of the God that we serve and that, and that the week that you may have had may have been a bad week. But when you come together with, with God's people and we pray together and we sit under God's word, we are reminded again that we serve a good God. And that the things that have happened in our week or the things that have happened in our month can't hold us captive. They're not even comparison to who the person of Jesus Christ is and how he's come to set us free from those things. Amen? And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at this struggle with regrets And guilt, and how do we overcome those things, or how do we battle them in the right way? And when they do come, because they will come, and when they do come, how do we battle it in the correct way? And I believe there's a battle that's going on in your minds. And if if we don't attack this carefully and understand this carefully, then it can become easily become bondage in your mind, where it can easily shipwreck you spiritually if you are not careful. Now, I believe that regrets and guilt can come from one of two places. One, that guilt and regret can come from our own actions, our own shortcomings, and our own sins, and our own bad choices that we've made, whether it was yesterday or, or 20 years ago. Um, it can come from there. And also guilt and regret and, and shame and pain can come from what others have done to us, and so guilt can come from all different types of sources, and we, we, we it, it may even come. Let me just give you some examples of where this guilt and maybe shame or maybe regret can come from. It can come from maybe we, we've never felt like we've ever pleased our parents. Maybe 
your parents drove your lives and, and it was a, a, a guilt type of thing and a performance-based type family. Maybe you were raised in a family that was very performance-based. It was all about results. If, if you didn't get an A or achieved in sports, you felt like a failure. Some of you were raised in a family where you never heard the words, maybe I love you or, or ever got a hug or, or any positive things in your life. And it became a constant fight for approval. Some of you are here and you've gone through some failed marriages. Um, you battle with a lot of guilt over something that you've done or, 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 or because of that. You feel guilt because of maybe what you put your children through. Some of you here and you know that your marriage isn't a healthy one and you feel guilt over that. Some of you are here and you've gone through some horrible abuse. You feel guilt and shame over why and, and you wonder why this happened to you. Some of you were maybe even raised in a church and much of what you were taught was more works righteousness. It was more about what you did, the do's and the don'ts. You built your relationship with God based on your performance, the do's and the don'ts. If you were good, God is pleased. If something bad happened to you, it meant that God was upset with you. Some of you feel guilty because you feel your walk with God is inadequate. And every time you hear someone talk about their uh, devotional life or talk about prayer or what they heard from God, you feel kind of guilty because you're like, man, why, how come I'm not hearing from God? And I, and I know I need to pray more and I know I need to read my Bible more. So when you hear someone say something encouraging to you, it even it makes you feel more guilty, right? Um, so it can come from all different places. Listen, Here's what can happen if we're not even careful as the church, we can even walk down this road. And how many know that, 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 that we, you know, as your pastor, I want you to grow in the Lord. I, I, I want you to come to church because it's about relationships. And, and I want you to read your Bible because it's about your relationship with Jesus that I know can set you free from these things. But, but here's the, here's the tightrope that the church can walk on if we're not careful. And here's the, here's the, here's the pit that we can fall into is the church if we're not careful. We can easily make church a religion. And, and, and what do I mean by that? It becomes more about the rules than about relationships. And, and, is, and is, let me be careful here, okay? Um, as good as I think some pastors are, and some churches are, and, 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 and maybe their motivation, maybe, maybe they, 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 they want people to respond correctly to the Lord. What we end up doing is motivating people by driving them and not leading them. That was good right there. You know it was. All you know that was good right there. And so what we end up doing is we end up driving people by guilt to try to change their behavior. And some of you may have sat in a church like that, or some of you have been, been motivated that way. And how many know that only lasts for a time? And, and so what we end up doing is we end up driving by these rules, like you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. It's a futile attempt to be righteous through my own strength. Now let me give an example of this. Some of you grew up in a, in a house like this, where many of you grew up with chore charts. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? But some of you grew up with the chore charts. How many of you tried the chore charts and it worked for like a day? And then, and then it just failed miserably. Chore charts did not work in our house. Here's what, here's what chore charts end up doing. 
um, we, 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 we had these charts and we had all the, you're supposed to do this, Colby. You're supposed to do this, Wesley. Lily, you're supposed to do this. And, and, and we thought this was going to be great. And you'll get little points and little gold stars. And we'll give you little allowances. And it lasts for like three hours. And then they all forgot about it. And then, and then, we, start, then we start motivating by, okay, the, 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 the chore chart didn't work. So I'm going to motivate you with the frying pan. Let's see if that works, right? Then we go into the frying pan and we're running around the house. Did you take out the gut, right? And then, and then it's guilt, right? Then it's guilt. Then it's the old, boys, let me talk to you a minute. Do you know what your mother does for you each and every day, right? Right? Come on. And then they, then they feel bad, you know, and then, then it's like, then I start motivating them by, by guilt, to, to, to get them to do these things. And then we start yelling at our kids and we start making threats like, do this or else. And then next thing you know, I'm ripping up the chore chart and it's going in the garbage. Right? It's just, here's the problem. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the problem. Okay, those of you who do chore charts and they work for you, God bless you, okay? I, I mean, I was at one person's house and they had this most immaculate chore chart I've ever seen in my life. And I could tell this person must be a teacher. And they were. I mean, it was just beautiful. And it was all. And I'm like, man, if you can get your kids. God bless you. God, God bless you if it works. Didn't work in our house. So, so here, here's, here's the reason why I mentioned the, the chore chart. Here's, here's the problem. Here's, nothing wrong with the chore chart. You disciplined families that can do that. God bless you. But, but here's here's. I want, I, want to, I want to feed the chore chart illustration into our walk with God. Here's what happens. What can happen is that we can turn our relationship with God into trying to do a chore chart with God. What, what do I mean by that? What ends up happening is, is when we fail, we feel like we can never keep up with God's chore chart. Here's the thing. If we're not careful as Christians, we end up walking this walk where we tell everybody, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. And it becomes this big chore chart with God. And so we feel good about ourselves when we're doing God's chore chart. And the way we do that is we compare ourselves with other people. And we say, oh, I'm doing a lot better than that person, and my chore chart looks a lot better than that other person's chore chart, so I must be doing a good job with God. The problem with that type of mentality is the minute you fail, the minute you fail God, what gets heaped upon your life? Guilt. Okay? Now you start walking in this guilt. So then, then you got to say, okay, well... Whew, I got to straighten up my chore chart. I got to do better tomorrow. God, I'm going to do really better tomorrow, and I'm going to make sure that I never do that again. And what, 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 what eventually happens? We do it again. So what our relationship with God turns into is this performance base of what I do and don't do, and that's not a relationship with God at all. That, that's not what God desires us to have. Here's the thing about God. God knew that you could not keep his chore chart. He knew you couldn't. He knew you would fail. That's the reason why Jesus came. Jesus fulfilled the righteous demands of God that we couldn't. When we come into the church the biggest mistake we can make is to mask 
our shortcomings. We want everyone to think I'm good and I have no problems. And here's the lie we believe. If we share our problems, then we might be at risk of having people look down upon us thinking that I'm not a good Christian and I'm not keeping my chore chart. So we hide behind the facade and we learn to say the right Christian words. And we hide behind our Christian chore charts by what we do and don't do. And for some odd reason, we come to church and we feel we can't be vulnerable with our weaknesses for the reason we might get judged that my chore chart doesn't look as good as your chore chart. And that's a shame to me. You see, one of the faults of one of the faults of the church can be that we create a Christian culture. Now, let me tell you, do, do I want you to live pure lives? Of course I do. Do I want you to stay out of sin? Of course I do, because I know the bondage and the hurt that it can bring into your life. But the fall of the church can end up creating a Christian culture without true godliness. Our chore charts can look great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're godly. That just means you're self-righteous. Can I get an amen? Okay, so let's be careful here. Because what we can do is we can say it becomes more about the list of the do's and don'ts that I keep God's chart. That's exactly what Jesus faced when he faced the self-righteous Pharisees of his day. They kept the chore chart and they let everybody know their chore chart and how great they were and how they served God. But Jesus says, you're like tombs that are whitewashed on the outside yet filled with dead man's bones on the inside. See, if we're not careful, it can become a place of what I do and don't do, and then I take pride. I take pride in what I do and I don't do, and we tell everybody else, look at my chore chart. Look how well I'm doing. And not a place that is open with our shortcomings to help each other to turn to Christ and from our sin. So we need to be open and say that my chore chart with God is pretty bad and there's no way I can keep it. And for some of us, I think it starts with the wrong view of God and who he is. So how do we overcome the guilt of our past? How do we overcome this performance-based Christianity where we hear the amazing thing to me is we always start off in Christianity, right? We start off with... For those of you that understand this, when, when you come to Jesus Christ, we understand we come by God's grace, that it's not by our strength and our power. It's nothing we've merited, that God simply loved us. He loved us beyond our sin and circumstances, and he sent his son to die for us. That's God's grace and mercy that was bestowed upon us. And we come to the kingdom, we feel the sense of relief, and God, you forgive me of all my sins, and everything's hunky-dory, and everything's wonderful. And then somebody comes up next to us and saddles up next to us and said, you know what? Gotta tell you something. You're feeling all good and fuzzy inside, and I'm glad, but you're not dressed the right way. Not dressed the right way. You shouldn't be doing those things. You know, and someone saddles up. And what do they do? I hear this big sucking noise. And they suck the joy and grace right out of their life, right? Because then they start thinking, well, what, what am I supposed to wear? Am I supposed to have a tie on? Am I supposed to wear? I, I didn't know that I was, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to? I'm not, okay. I'm so, well, I start doing it. And all of a sudden, 
boom, there's a chore chart, right? Let, let me take you over to my chore chart. Here's mine. See, this is what you're supposed to do and not do. And this is the way you're supposed to pray and not pray. And this is what you're supposed to say and not say. And all of a sudden, we suck the joy and it becomes a performance-based Christianity. Not one of relationship, but one of performance. So here's, here's what I believe. It starts with a correct understanding who, of who God is and what he did for us. And we need a right here. It all boils down to this, people. It all boils down to a right understanding of the gospel message, a right understanding of why God sent his son to earth. The bottom line, Jesus came to cover your guilt and shame and to fulfill God's chore chart for you. Everybody says Amen. Okay, so you can't do it. So he does for us. So here's what I want to dig into. I want to dig into Romans chapter five. If you got your Bibles, turn there. Romans chapter five. We're going to look at verses one through eleven, and we're going to see exactly what Jesus did for us. If if anyone understood this, Paul does, because the apostle Paul calls himself the worst of all sinners. Actually, was killing Christians and thought he was doing the right thing by fulfilling God's chore chart by killing Christians. Until he had this divine encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and God changed his life. So if anyone understands God's grace and mercy, it's going to be the Apostle Paul. And so listen to the words of Paul as he writes to the Romans about having peace with God through faith. And how God fulfills all the things that we can't fulfill ourselves. So let's see what Paul says here. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace by which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to what? Shame. Ooh, I like that. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through what the Holy Spirit, who has given us, another gift that God gives us so that we can please him. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? The what? Ungodly, which is every single one of us here today. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would even dare to die. But God, but God, but God shows his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, dead in our trespasses, in our guilt, in our shame, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than all that, there's more. For 1999, you can get this, but there's more, right? There's always more. It's 1995, there's always more. If you buy now, you get an extra one, right? Here's what Paul says. But more than that... That he saved us, that we were sinners, we didn't deserve it, Christ died in our place. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So what he's saying there is, he 
He's saying God does not hold his chore chart against us. So let me wrap up. Let, 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 me, let me discuss here. Let me just discuss here what Paul says. Because Paul says here, Jesus came to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. He fulfills God's righteous demands. Notice the words Paul uses. He uses peace, grace, saved by his life, reconciled. So let's first understand something about this section of Romans. God does not change us by what? Guilt. God never uses guilt to change you. In fact, God uses just the opposite. How many know that guilt does not work? It works for a time, but how many know that guilt does not develop relationships? It doesn't. When we try to guilt people to do things, that doesn't change their heart. It may change their behavior. It may change them for a while. But if it doesn't change the heart, it will not stick. Okay. So God knew that. So he's not going to, he, he didn't come into this world to condemn. So this is, this is, this is seen. Um, um, this is explained by John in John three seventeen to 18, because he explains why Jesus came to earth. We all know John three sixteen, but do we know John three seventeen and 18? Cause that's the real important part of that verse after for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? The most important part of that verse is fouled up. In 17 and 18, where he said, For God did not send his son in the world to do what? To condemn the world in order that we might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not what? Condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, which means God doesn't come to condemn you. The unbelief is your own fault, and so you're already condemned. God doesn't come to condemn you even more about your unbelief. You already stand Condemned because of your unbelief. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So what is John saying here? He's saying God sent Jesus not to push us further into our guilt, but to overcome it for us by taking the punishment of our sin. The, the reason why there's guilt and shame attached to our lives is because we're all born with sin. And the result of that is guilt and shame. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what was the first thing they did? They hid from God. And they noticed that they were naked. They were ashamed because of sin. And so they hid and then they sewed fig leaves to cover their nakedness. So what's the first thing they did? They hid from God because of their nakedness, because of their shame. They hid from the Lord. So Jesus comes Not to push us further into our guilt, but actually to take us out of that guilt and out of that shame. Jesus didn't come to say, aha, you didn't fulfill my chore chart. Jesus is the only solution for our guilt. Jesus never uses guilt to change people because he knows it will not last and it will only lead people into a hopeless situation. So what's the difference? You say, Pastor, I know what you're all thinking. Pastor, what's the difference between guilt and conviction? Because how many know that the Holy Spirit does bring conviction to our heart And shows us where we are wayward from the Lord. And how many know that conviction is good? 
That, that, that the Holy Spirit does convict us about our behavior. And if we didn't have that conviction or those guardrails in our lives, we could easily go down a really bad path. So conviction is good. The Holy Spirit within us. How can, how can light and darkness have fellowship? How can we be in Christ and still have fellowship with the world? Those are conviction. So what's the difference between conviction and guilt? Are you ready? Here's the answer. I'm going to give you the answer right now. One leads you away from God and one leads you towards God and his forgiveness. Guilt will lead you away from God, just like Adam and Eve. But conviction will lead you to God and his forgiveness. You see, if if we can't find forgiveness in the arms of our Lord Jesus Christ, then our lives are going to be a constant battle of guilt and remorse and shame. And I can never overcome this. But God says, I want you to take the conviction that I give you through the gift of my Holy Spirit. And now I want you to run to my arms and you're going to find forgiveness. And see, you can't overcome your guilt of your past by trying to be better tomorrow. Jesus says, I'm going to promise that, that I'm going to do it all for you. We can't say to Jesus, Jesus, I promise you, I'll do better on my church or tomorrow. I'll do better, better, because we're going to be instant failures. See, that's exactly what Paul is saying in these verses. Paul says, for while we were still weak, when we didn't have the moral strength, when we couldn't save ourselves, walking in our guilt, trying to save ourselves, trying to be righteous with, without God, trying to be a good person, trying to make up for my sins, Paul says that Jesus died for the ungodly. Meaning God knew that we were messed up. God knew we were guilty. And God knew that you were a sinner and lost without him. So you know what he did for us. He didn't pour more guilt and condemnation on us. He sent us the perfect gift, his son, Jesus Christ, his only son, as a substitute for your guilt and your shame and your sin. So Jesus paid the ultimate price for our guilt and our shame. And so Paul makes a great point by saying some people will die for even maybe a righteous person, but for an unrighteous, there's no way someone would die for that. And here is God's love and how it is demonstrated that Jesus gave his life for sinners, which, which makes no sense to us. But for God, it makes perfect sense because God realizes that we're hopeless without him. So God in his love did everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. So here is God's love and here is how it's demonstrated for us. Which means you could do nothing to gain God's acceptance. God could care less how perfect your chore chart is. He could care less because there's no way we could ever please him. You can't merit God's love no matter how perfect your chore chart is. God's love drove him to provide a way out for you and I through his son, Jesus Christ. I love what John Stott says here. He said, God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loves us. Let me say it again. God does not love us because Jesus died for us. Christ died for us because God loves us. God gave us his son. So God took the first step towards us. In his love and grace, he gave us something that we didn't deserve, Jesus. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short of that standard. Jesus took all your guilt, hung on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. So Paul says, through the blood of Christ, we are now 
justified. So what does this mean? Through Christ, we are now made right before a holy God. So God declares you now, the word justified, it's a legal term, which God now declares you as the judge, God is the judge, not guilty. And not only does he do that, but he takes it a step further. He says, now in Christ, you are righteous. So the guilt of your past and your sin has now been covered by the one righteous act of Jesus Christ upon that cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus made your chore chart perfect through his work. And he put a big gold star on it. And he says, it's finished. It's done. I completed it for you, which you couldn't do yourself. God's wrath towards my sin, Paul says, was poured out upon himself. It's the word propitiation. When we trust Jesus, we don't have to fear God's wrath on judgment day. When you feel your guilt and your condemnation, you don't have to fear that anymore. That guilt and condemnation is not any longer held over your head. No matter how many bad memories you have, no matter what triggers that, no matter when you look at your past and you say, how can God forgive me? Pastor, you don't know how bad my past is. How can, and that guilt comes up and then you, you feel like you're not a good Christian. You're not, you're not doing the right things. See, when we trust Jesus, we don't have to fear God's wrath on judgment day. Paul even goes on later in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 8.1, where he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's the word I want to look at as I wrap this up. Paul says, there is therefore now, 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 no condemnation. So I want to look at the word now. I want you, see, here's the mistake we make. We easily define ourselves by our past. Here's the problem we all get into, every single one of us. We try to define ourselves by what we do, right? So, so if, if, if you're successful at something, we want to say the good things we do, right? We, 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 how, many of us, how many of us accentuate our, our failures? I've never, listen, I've never seen a bumper sticker on the back of someone's car where it says, my student failed this year. I've seen it. I don't know about you. I haven't seen it. Right? I don't see it. Uh, yeah, I've never seen a Christmas letter where it talks about all the hardships they went through that year. Right? I, I don't see that. Why? Because we don't want to. We don't want to exemplify the negative stuff. We want to show everybody how great it. Right? See, that's the problem in our lives. We define ourselves. So what happens is when we don't measure up. To what we broadcast to the world, we feel like failures. Because we've based our life and what we do, not who we are in Christ Jesus. I thought I'd get one amen there. That's okay. Okay, listen, 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 listen. This is going to help a lot of you. Because when you base your life and your performance and your job and your marriage and your kids and how well they're doing and how you feel good about yourself, don't you? Your kids are doing good. Hey, I'm doing good. I'm a great parent. Woo! Let me put that on Facebook. Let me Instagram right now, right? Let me tweet it right there. Good parent, right? All of a sudden something happens. It's not so good. Your kids make wrong choices. 
You lose your job. Your marriage isn't what it should be, right? Now we feel like a failure. Because we're not basing our life in who we are now in Christ Jesus. And the reason why we go through identity problems and midlife crisis and all this stuff. If I pull into church with a Harley, I've just hit midlife crisis, okay? Because I'm 48. I'm hitting right there. Okay, so you know it, all right? Um, That's the problem. We put our identity in ourselves and what we do. Here's what Paul says. There is... There is therefore now, now, for those that are in Christ, no condemnation. So in Christ, things change. Paul says, now that you are in Christ, your past no longer has a hold on you. Now that you are in Christ, your past doesn't dictate your future. Now that you're in Christ, your identity is in him, not in your kids. Not in your job. Not in how well you play golf. That's what keeps me humble. I play golf, okay? Because I'm terrible at it, okay? So now that you're in Christ, you have a new beginning. Now that you're in Christ, all things become new. Now that you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Now that you're in Christ, your past is wiped away. Now that you're in Christ, you are in a right standing with God. Now that you're in Christ, all things become new. Do you believe that? See, there is no more guilt, no more shame. So here's how you overcome it. Here's how you overcome the guilt of your past. Here's how you overcome the memories of those things. Not that they're always not going to be with you. Not that God may erase them from your mind and you wish you could never be reminded of those. Here's what I do. Woo, this is good. Right here. This is it right here. Here's the apex of the whole message right now. Here's how you do it. I believe they're not necessarily bad. Follow me before I get negative emails. The negative things in your past, I'm not telling you to dwell on it. I'm not trying to tell you to overcome it in your own strength. But when they do come up, here's your opportunity to say, but now I'm in Christ Jesus. Now that no longer holds me captive like it did two years ago or three years ago or five years ago. And you've got to remind yourself and you've got to feed on God's word and you've got to constantly say, God, it's only by your grace that I'm saved. It's only by your grace that I can overcome this negative thing. It's only by your grace that I can overcome these negative habits. It's only by your grace I can do these things because now I am in Christ Jesus and my past doesn't dictate my future. No matter what an old Facebook friend may say, hey, man, we used to party, man. You were the best party. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm so bad. That was my past life. Everybody at church thinks I'm so great and wonderful, right? They think I'm just wonderful. But my old friend knows me. How do I? Now that you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not trying to please that old friend anymore, are you? That doesn't matter anymore. Right? Now that you're in Christ, you want to please him. And he's the one that covers you and sanctifies you and makes you right. So what you do is you take that shame and that guilt and you let God cleanse you now. You let Christ cleanse you. 
Don't let your guilt drive you away from God. Let it drive you to him. Let it be a reminder to you of how good God's grace is, that he doesn't hold you captive anymore. Let me give you two last verses. We're going to end. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's the difference. Christ is in you now, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me, who loved me and gave his life for me. Jesus, I have this bad guilt and this kind of, Jesus, I know you love me. And you gave your life for me, and I now stand in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that that's not me anymore, that Christ now lives in me. I'm a new person. He's transformed me by his Holy Spirit, and that old person is no longer alive. He died at the foot of the cross, and now Christ lives in me. So if we confess our sins, here's the difference. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Ready? If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, remember this, that your guilt and condemnation can be the enemy's ploy to keep you from running to Jesus and finding the freedom and finding the joy and finding the peace that you need today. So as I pray for you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to close in song, but there's some of you here today. You're, you're, you're bad. It's a battle with your pet. You're, you're, you're definitely battling and struggling with some things in your past. And we are here as the church, as the body of Christ to help one another. And Jesus is here not to keep more, condemning words on your life. But he is here to say, run to me, lay those things at my feet, and I'll take care of them. Find yourself in me. Stop beating yourself up. Stop, stop, stop just, just going overboard by just thinking about it, thinking about it. if I only did this differently, if I just did this, if I just did, if I just did, if I, Jesus, lay those just ifs at my feet and just let it go. Let my forgiveness flow over you at this point. How many know you can beat yourself up the rest of your life and it will never change you? As much as you feel beating yourself up and and, and condemning yourself, you feel like some self-loathing act will help you. It won't bring freedom to your heart. You'll be chained to that the rest of your life. And I don't care what it is. Because God doesn't. When you lay it at his feet, he breaks that chain. And you can find forgiveness. Jesus died for every single sin that's ever been committed. His grace is enough. He wants to forgive you today. He wants to heal you today. From all that bitterness, all that guilt, and all that shame. He wants to get deep into your heart where no one else has gotten before. Jesus already knows it. He just wants you to reveal it to him so that you can find healing in his name. So Lord, as we bow our hearts before you today, we need you. Lord, you know every situation here. You know every heart. 
You know every battle. You know every struggle. You know every guilty feeling. Jesus, I pray that we would run to you today, not run from you, but run to you to find healing for our lives. Thank you that my past does not dictate my future any longer in Christ Jesus. That chain has been broken. It is Christ that Paul said now lives in me. I have died to that old man because of Christ. And now Christ is alive in me. May we find ourselves in you and who we are in you today. And so, Lord, I pray for healing for every single person today. In Jesus' wonderful name, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We love you and we thank you. We love you and we thank you.